thank you. I have anticipated, really looked forward to being being back here at Wawasee. And it is really neat to hear a prayer this morning that prays for the farmers. That's why I like being at Wawasee. When you're in South Bend, you pray for the police. So uh, this is a nice change-up, I'd say, this morning. (laughs) I'd like for you to turn with me in your scriptures, if you would, to the book of Luke, the third gospel of the New Testament, the book of Luke. And I'd like to look with you this morning at just a few verses of scripture tucked into chapter 5 in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 5, and we are going to look together at basically verses 12 through 14, but I will read verses 12 through uh, 16. While he was in one of their cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole, clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him And he healed them of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and to pray. I was a young adult, uh, early 20s, when due to a number of circumstances in my life, I was forced to ask the question, which I believe was initiated, was moved within me by the Spirit of God. And it was the question, who is Jesus Christ to you anyway? I was raised in a Christian home. I was born on the pew. Some people think I smell that way, but it was, it was a life that basically was very much involved. My father was a pastor. My natural father was, who died before I was born. My stepfather was a pastor. Um, I was very involved and committed to the church. I went to a Christian college now known as Cornerstone University. Uh, I was a youth pastor. I had traveled in speaking in a number of churches in the Midwest area for three years. And due to some circumstances, I turned myself and looked myself square in the face and said, just who is Jesus Christ to you anyway? 
Now, the Gospels are there to help us to understand and, in, in fact, to convince beyond a shadow of a doubt to lay out the facts of who Jesus Christ is, this man of Nazareth. They do it from different perspectives, but ultimately the conclusion is the same. Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus is the promised king, the son of David. And so even in his genealogy, he takes us back to David the king. Mark wants us to understand that Jesus is the servant of God, even of whom Isaiah prophesied, and therefore has no genealogy because servants don't have genealogies. Who's interested in a servant's genealogy? And he immediately starts, even with this particular vignette in Mark chapter 1, what we would call a parallel passage. Luke wants for us to understand that this Jesus is the Son of Man. Now, in saying Son of Man, that's no simple thing. He wants us to understand that as the Son of Man, he is fully human. And Luke, the physician, points out to us the humanity of Jesus, that he is in flesh touchable and touching. John wants for us to understand that this Jesus is the Son of God. And therefore, as the Son of God, he begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. That's the genealogy. For Luke, Luke takes it back in his genealogy, someplace around the third chapter, takes it back to Jesus as being the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, and takes it back to being the son of Adam, who was the son of God. So he's the son of man. That Jesus is the son of God. Now, having understood that, let's, let's again understand that these four writers... One a Gentile, three a Jews, three who have spent much time with Jesus, one who did his research work as a Gentile, never having been with Jesus, Luke. They want for us to understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. That he is God himself in the authority, speaking like no one else speaks. And that he does the powerful works that demonstrate he is the son of God. Remember John the Baptist, who sent his disciples to Jesus and they said, that, you know, Tell us, because here he is in prison, and, and I'm sure John thought that the kingdom would come in such a way that he would probably never die. And here he is, not just ready to die, but he's in prison, and he's going to have his head taken off. And he said, are, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? And Jesus said, 
to him, look at the powerful works. He said, the dead are raised, the blind see, the sick are healed. The power of God is demonstrated through everything that I do. Now, therefore, every one of these wants under the spirit of God and God himself wants for us to know that without doubt, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He is the authority of the law. You've heard it said, but I say to you, he is the very power of God in flesh. He is the son of God, the son of man, the promised servant who is the Messiah, who is the king. Having been persuaded of that, having demonstrated, having proven that through the Gospels, that doesn't change the question that still comes to us. Who do you say that he is? Every one of us. Every one of us here this morning. With all of this proof, with all of this evidence, with all of this history, with all of this power, the question really is, who do you say that he is? Who is he to you? This morning we look at one person, unnamed, a leper, who encounters Jesus. And he comes and he goes. In his coming, if you are into writing out outlines and find they might be helpful to you, I want for you to for us first to consider his condition. Then I would like for us to look at what I would call in the engagement or the connection. Uh, to look at the change that takes place, or, or rather the conviction that takes place. The third thing is, is that I would like for us to look at the change that takes place. And the fourth thing is, as he goes, the charge that is given. Let's first of all look at the condition. You'd need to go back to uh, Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 to think about the condition of this particular man. Leprosy is a skin disease, a very debilitating skin disease, and it becomes a very obvious thing in a person's life. It can take a person's nose, it can take a person's limbs, it, it so works in degrading, defiling an individual physically. And in the Old Testament scriptures, along with the other uh, concerns that Moses speaks about and conditions with which people had to dwell and, and work. In this particular case, there were things that are noted, and you'll note them, especially in the 13th chapter, that a person with this kind of condition had certain uh, things, behaviors that they had to make and certain conditions that were on their life that they had to live up to. For instance, if you had leprosy, 
you had to put a cloth over your lip. That was a sign of a leprous person. Uh, so that this uh, felt to be, thought to be communicable disease would not, in fact, inflict others. Uh, not only do you have the cloth over your lip, but you also had to dishevel your clothes. You couldn't dress. In other words, you fit the part. You had to look the part. Uh, you, you walked around with disheveled clothes. And just as bad is, is that as you went around, you had to announce to people that you had leprosy. It wasn't just that it becomes obvious, but it becomes an audible feature that you had to say, unclean, unclean. Not just that, but you couldn't come into the presence, the holy presence. You couldn't be around the temple mount. You couldn't be around the tabernacle. You couldn't be near. You couldn't officiate at all. You couldn't be a priest. And you couldn't be near this holy presence of God. Not only that, but you were ostracized from community. You had to live outside the town, outside the city gate. That's what a leprous person had to do in Jesus' day, in fulfillment of the law. It is this man with whom I identify, and scriptures make it clear each of us ought to be able to identify. Because the truth is, is that leprosy becomes very much a picture of sinfulness, doesn't it? It is debilitating. Sin destroys. And in that personal destruction, within our own souls, within our own beings, we are separated Separated from individuals because sin always separates. And it separates us from God. It is very disunifying. Disunifying even within the struggles of ourselves. And the Bible makes it clear, according to the book of Romans, that all of us might be pictured as lepers. All of us are born separated from God, living away from the holy presence and living separate lives as much as we want unity, as much as I want unity and oneness with my wife, I still am a separate individual. And that is more because of my sin. That's true of families, it's true of towns, it's true of nations, it's true of the world. Separated from God and unclean. Now one of the difficulties is, is that a lot of us don't think of ourselves in that way. We don't want to think of ourselves in that way. We rationalize that we are not really that way. 
but as the Bible says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who knows it? Here is a man with a condition with which I, and I hope you, very much identify. Separated from God, separated from others, in confusion, in struggle, within our own lives. Imagine what it would be like to be ostracized. That's this person from God and from others. That's his condition. Now look, look at what happens in the midst of all of this. Let's look, if I may, beyond the condition, but to the good news here, the connection that takes place. Here's the man, and here's Jesus, is going by. And the man cries out. Certainly he's heard of Jesus. The popularity of Jesus is, in, in, at least in Israel, in fact, beyond the borders of Israel, very well known. Um, here is a person who talks like nobody else talks, with authority like nobody else talks, doing miraculous deeds that no one else is able to and claiming that he fulfills the Old Testament scripture just by virtue of the way he lives. Nobody, nobody liked this. He comes to town, and here is this leper, this sinner, who sees his chance. It is at that particular point, who is Jesus Christ to you? And he cries out, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me whole. You see, that's, that's what has to take place for change to occur. You have to recognize where you're at. It is amazing the amount of people who are involved in alcoholism who just are unwilling to admit that they're alcoholics. It's amazing how many people think in whatever plight of life they may be that they're okay and they can do whatever they need to do themselves. Here's a man who's come to an end of himself. Here's a man who cries out. A man who needs a connection with something greater, someone better, someone powerful enough, someone commanding enough, somebody who can lift him out, and he cries out. The Bible says, unless we repent, we shall likewise Do you know where you are? One of my favorite questions to, to people when interviewing them often about anything, but especially about work-related things, but about anything, is who are you? Do you know who you are? What is your identity? Do you really know who you are? Do you understand your weakness? Do you understand the rebellions? 
you understand your sinfulness? Do you see yourself there? Unless you've seen yourself there, you will never change. Because you see, the well don't need a physician, Jesus said. And in fact, you may be too good for God. Because Jesus said, I've not come for the righteous. I've come for sinners. That's why I'm here. So you see, in this encounter to take place, it isn't simply a matter of who Jesus is. It's a matter that you've come to grips with who you are. It's a matter that you have seen in the midst of who you are that you need help. The desperation of leprosy. And you've cried out to him. Now in this connect, in this connect, when that cry occurs, there's a beautiful word there. If you look at Mark chapter 1, and, and you see here, you'll, you'll see that Jesus has compassion upon him. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves lepers. Unlike often ourselves, who are looking to climb the ladder of success and higher and somehow distance ourselves from all of that. Jesus is known deprecatingly by the crowd, but honorably by himself, that he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He has compassion upon them. Not only does he have compassion upon Notice what the Bible tells us. He has contact with them. He touches them. You see that the humanity of Jesus? He touches them. I'll never forget when I went into the dentist's office, the first not the, not the first time I went into the dentist's office, but the first time when they had made a cultural change. And it wasn't simply a cultural change. It was also, I'm, I'm sure, a medical uh, and, and hygienic change. But don't you remember when they used to put their fingers down your mouth and your throat, you know? And, and then the first time that I went, when they put on gloves, I mean, I felt horrible. What'd they do? Think I was disease-ridden or something like that? You know? And they put on gloves to touch my teeth, touch my mouth. You know, that's how often we, we said, because even the leper was supposed to say, unclean, unclean. And we may not say it, but we look at certain people, and that's exactly what we say about them, unclean. Stay away from me. You've got problems. You've got issues, you've got a condition, and I'm not going to touch it. You know, don't go there, don't touch it. 
And yet Jesus comes. I had a pastor friend. I worked with him for a number of years. He was quite noted. And, and he was talking about one of his ministries, the place that he administered in London, Ontario. And uh, there was a man who came and did not know a word of English, but he came to church one Sunday. And my pastor, uh, who was at that point also my pastor, uh, would come and simply put his hand around the guy. Couldn't communicate, but put his arm around the guy. A number of years later, a man came up to him at a service and said, Pastor Suckman, do you remember who I am? And the pastor said, no, I, I don't know who you are. He said, I was the guy who came as an immigrant to Canada and to your church. And every Sunday, we couldn't communicate verbally, but you put your arm around me. And it was because of that touch that I believed in Jesus. That's why I love that song by the Gaithers. He touched me. <laughs> oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that fills my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and he made me whole. The contact. You see, he is an imminent God. He is not only transcendent, but he is up close and personal. You know, someone once said, and I, I love this, someone once said, if you feel yourself, if you wake up in the morning and feel yourself estranged from God, be assured it's not God who's moved. He was there. He doesn't ask you to turn around and walk a mile. He asks you to turn around. He's there all the time. Well, let's move on because there is something else here that, that I find fascinating. And that is this engagement where he connects. Here, here becomes the words. Look at Look at this coming now in terms of his words. Go back to Luke, if you would, and notice what it says. He falls on his face, seeing Jesus. He falls on his face, and he begs him, Lord, if you're willing, you're able to make me whole. Make me whole. If you're willing. Make me whole. Think about that posture, if you would, with me for, for just a moment and, and what that tells us about the conviction that this man has and what's really taking place with him in his soul here. First off, he comes not prescribing, but he comes asking. I don't know about you, but often I come to God telling them how things ought to be done. <laughs> you know, I, I, 
went one time with our, our little ones. We have four children, uh, no longer little. But um, we took them to the family doctor and to the pediatrician. And the wonderful older gentleman, wonderful doctor, he said, he said, you know, I'd like for you to tell me the condition of the kids. And you look at him and say, why, why you're, you're the doctor. And he says, I find that the mother knows. <laughs> the mother knows what the real problem is here. Well, when you come to Jesus with yourself, the truth is, is that you don't really know what the problem is. You don't, he doesn't say, now you write out what the prescription is that you're going to take to the pharmacy, and I'll initial it in a handwriting they can't understand. But uh, And you give that to the pharmacist, and he'll fill it out, and you just tell me what. That isn't, that isn't it at all. He doesn't come prescribing. How many times in my life, I think I've got it all figured out, exactly what the issues are. But when you come to Jesus, that's not how you come. Look again at this man's posture. He's down with his face in the dirt. This body that is being decayed, he's laying out before God, before this very Son of God, before the power of God, before the wisdom of God, before the righteousness of God. He's laying himself out, and he cries out in desperation at the end of himself, if you're willing, you can make me whole. Remember Naaman? How did God do it that way? Okay, go down seven times. Remember the one where he spits in the ground, takes the dirt and puts it on his eyes? God has phenomenal, extraordinary, almost unbelievable ways because nothing is impossible with him, even in the ways in which he chooses to work. I'm constantly being surprised by God. <laughs> I thought he would do it this way, but do it that way. I mean, I can tell you stories in my life, you know, that are very intimate and very close in terms of our family and ways and prayers that I have had. And God didn't do it in the way that I thought, but God did it. He has, you know, for me, it's either north, south, east, or west. He's got directions that I haven't got the slightest idea about. And he brings it into heaven, not prescribing, but believing. You'll also note that he doesn't come in pride, but he comes in brokenness. In fact, that's an interesting thing about the scriptures, isn't it? Because they tell us that God resists the proud. But he gives grace to whom? Grace to the broken. I work for so hard for Jesus, I often boast and say, I've sacrificed a lot of things to walk this narrow way. I gave up fame and fortune. I'm worth a lot to you. And then I hear my Savior say, I gave up fame and fortune. I took the cross for glory. Follow me. Not with pride, but with a brokenness. The third one thing I notice here is there is no presumption 
more than likely, obviously, because he's following the law and Jesus is going to tell him to go talk to the priest, he's a Jew. The Jews, even we have noted in the life of Jesus, believed that they had a special in with God and that Jesus should be good to them because they were Jews. It is what we call the sin of presumption. This is the sin that Jesus was tempted with by the devil in the wilderness, you'll remember. If you be the son of God, presume upon God that you can cast yourself down and he'll take care of you. Presume upon God that he owes it to you. You deserve it. You've paid for it. Not this man. He says, not only am I broken, but I am also penniless. I have nothing to offer. Nothing. And there is no reason that you should save How do you come to God? Expecting because he owes you. Thinking of who you are and what you've done. Certainly that bit of pride. I mean, we sing it. We'll save each man's dignity, save each man's pride. We used to sing, we are one in the spirit. Is that it? Do you come with your emaciation? Do you come with your sickness, groveling in the dirt? Just say, God, have mercy on me. Notice, Jesus said, I'm willing. Speaks basically in Greek, one word. And the word, interestingly enough, is the word for our English word, catharsis. Cleansing. Moment of wholeness. Healing. Be healed. And the leprosy left him. You see, that's what happens when a person is born of God. When God works in your life, when he made me righteous, he didn't put me through rigors of acceptability. He said, I declare you to be faultless before the throne of God. Now, think about that. <laughs> because you see, there's, there's that within us that says, I am too bad. This is too great for God to handle. But read again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were sexually immoral, homosexuality, swindlers, the whole list. And that's only a partial list. The Bible keeps talking in different places about other kinds of lists that describe who we are in our leprosy, in our sinfulness. 
And he says, and such were some of you. And then he says this, but you have been justified. Through our Lord Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit of God within you, you have been made acceptable to God. You are a child of God, and the Spirit of God is changing you from glory to glory. Wow. Has that happened in your life? Have you come to Jesus? The question is not, who is Jesus? Jesus is who he is, regardless of what you think about him. Jesus is the Son of God, whatever else the world may say or you may say. Jesus is God in flesh. All of that is the case. The question this morning is who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? Have you come to that place of brokenness? Have you experienced his cleansing power? Is your life being changed? Are you knowing that regularity of living in him and with him and through him because of him and for him? Is he your all in all? Is he in you and to you who he really is? The Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. If so, then simply look quickly at the charge. What is it? Well, in another place we are told that they went and they preached the gospel, going into all the world. But what does he tell this man to do? And I'd like to suggest to you that this is the deepest way in which we affect people, in which we demonstrate what we really believe. And it is this, go and show. It wasn't go and tell. It was go and show. They won't hear it from you until they've seen it in you. Go and show. Show the authenticity, the authenticity, the true reality of who Jesus is by a life that is changed by his grace. Uh, I think of several songs. One of them is, is, I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Or another hymn writer that says, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, bruised and broken by the fall. If you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous. Not the righteous. Sinners. Welcome to the club. Sinners. Jesus came to call. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, (laughs) how can we ever thank you For the gift of Christ Jesus. You gave your one and only Son. That whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
and his life of humility is imparted to us by your spirit when we enter that brokenness, that nothingness, when we come crying to you and believing that you are able and pleading your will that you would have mercy upon us. For that person this morning who is struggling with who you are, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would power of your spirit, bring them to the conviction of truth, that you are the Christ, the Son of God. For those who are on that edge, I pray, O God, that even now your Holy Spirit would work within them, that they would cry to you and be saved, because you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and be saved they will receive that gift of eternal life in Christ our Lord. And Father, for those of us who believe at whatever point in our faith we may be, I pray that we will show Christ. That it will be Christ in us and Christ through us. The very hope of that we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we will know the blessing, the fullness, the fulfillment, the wholeness, the catharsis, the cleansing, the oneness with you through faith and trust in you. That is my prayer. In Jesus' name. Stand and sing with us as we close today.